This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 8. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows. Brought to you by KSG Armory Holsters. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, as of the recording of this episode. And I'm coming to you live here from downtown Salt Lake City. Something different for me. Matthew's in his usual, uh, you know, his humble, actually, it's a, it's a beautiful yeah. abode there in <laughs> central I'm Ohio. In my bunker. <laughs> but yep, I'm in my bunker in, in Columbus, Ohio. In the bunker. Matthew Marister, our co host and producer. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Today, uh, we are going to, this is actually the first in a series of episodes that uh, we're going to call our Mythbuster episodes. And so uh, we were talking about this recently, and it was a great idea, I thought. And Matthew kind of kicked off the idea and uh, thought, hey, you know what? This would be really cool, I think, to, uh, well, we're going to start off by Mythbusting the common shooting fundamentals as they're often known or referred to as uh traditionally many of you probably have heard of you know like the seven shooting fundamentals or something to that effect that's kind of our our aim we're not going to do all seven of those today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is thought of as the first shooting fundamental which is stance and we're going to discuss shooting stance today what it is, what it isn't, uh, how we could do it better. What you know, whatever it is, let's let's do it better. So we're gonna we're gonna myth bust the the idea of stance as it's commonly known or referred to as or taught even, and because I think Matthew and I both have some strong feelings about that, and probably maybe even some some differing thoughts on it to some extent perhaps i don't know we'll see where the discussion leads us today so stay tuned it should be a fun episode today's episode is sponsored brought to you by guardian nation guardian nation is our membership program available to all of you followers listeners viewers of the podcast and it, well and not just only followers of the podcast but guardian nation is our membership program where you get access to special deals discounts quarterly boxes of gear which we're getting ready to ship out our next one because uh, it ships in what february may april or february may august and november and also access to our training content hidden away in the vault the members vault which we refer to as now the that which is the complete guardian university okay so uh, you can buy training videos and content a la carte in Guardian University. But you, if you're a Guardian Nation member, you get access to all of Guardian University as part of your membership. All together with all these membership benefits, big time savings. Consider joining today. Go to guardiannation.com. Today's other episode sponsor, mountmanmedical.com. And uh, that's where we recommend you consider stopping and shopping for your medical and trauma kit needs. Go to mountainmanmedical.com. Let's go ahead and get going with uh, this first ever Mythbuster episode, calling this Mythbusting Shooting Fundamentals Stance. 
So that applies. We'll, well, next time we'll probably talk about grip. And next time after that, we'll talk about sights and things like that. So this will be a fun time. Yep. Stance. Uh, Matthew, this was actually your idea. Uh, you you brought it up a week or two ago. said, hey, let's, let's talk about stance. And uh, it actually, I think you referred to it as stance versus platform. I don't know where do you want to where do you want to kick this one off at? Yeah, I, I think it's you, you kind of teed it up. We're going to do kind of like take these um, different fundamentals, if you would, and and um, maybe either a different look than maybe or different idea than maybe what you were taught in a class, or or maybe you know how how you look at it uh, yourself. Um, I don't know. I think maybe I, I, I'll just start by saying the, the reason why I thought of this is like, you know, I came from a military and law enforcement background and the, the, the training is very structured and it's very dogmatic. And, you know, you teach something because that's how it was taught to you and that's how they did it. And that's how you're going to do it. And there's not a lot of um, outside thinking, I guess. Um, but when I started teaching um, like the concealed carry class, when I just started got out, out of law enforcement, just started teaching, um, you know, you, you get the curriculum that you're supposed to teach from either NRA or USCCA or whatever, you know, you're teaching or whatever. And they go through the the fundamentals and, and one of them was stance in even like from my dogmatic, like mind of, you know, this is how it was taught. You're, you're taught in the, you know, um, a, a specific stance or, choose between two or kind of morph it into a third, but use those two, you know, elements or whatever. And I always hated it because I, I didn't feel like I was actually um, buying into what I was necessarily what they wanted me to teach. And so I guess I'll, I'll just set up like the concept and hand it over to you is that like we oftentimes when people say, okay, you know, what is a shooting stance? We're talking about, let's say, uh, pistol handgun. Um, you know, you, you have two choices. Uh, t- typically it's either the isosceles or the weaver. And, and if you have an instructor that's, you know, really avant-garde, he might let you choose the third is like, do a little bit of both or whatever. Right. And, um, and, and it's not, it's not to say that those stances aren't actual stances and they don't have some, you know, form of benefit or whatever. But like when you start applying it to shooting defensively, you quickly see why you can't be dogmatic about feet positioning um, in, in these types of things. So um, that's really where I started to come from. This is like where my mind started to go. And I'm sure, I don't know how it was for you, but, you know, I developed over time a way that I could better articulate um, shooting stance and, 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 and sort of going into describing it as a platform or, 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 you know, rather than a specific stance. And so, um, yeah. And so maybe you can uh, hand it back over to you kind of setting that up is these are typically how it's presented in a class. Maybe if you have attended a class, um, you choose one or the other and, and I, I don't think that my, my stance on the subject is, um, is that, you know, in, in a d- defensive context, um, don't get wrapped up around a s- specific stance. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. So back to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, 
here's, I guess, where my mind first, you know, starts when thinking about this uh, topic. Uh, the first thing that I was thinking of is how I don't even teach stance as the like beginning place in shooting when I'm teaching classes. That's even true when I'm doing a beginner class. I don't start with stance because now let's be clear, like stance, however it is that we stand and position our body uh, definitely is supportive of what we do with the gun in our hands. But to me, it's way more beneficial to start off on what I think of as the foundation of shooting, which is in my mind, grip. Grip is our first interaction between gun and us. You know, by the time we get down to talking about feet and feet positioning and, you know, your, your classic stance as you, as you know it, like that's, that's so far removed from the actual thing that we're doing with the gun. And I'm reminded of, you know, what Rob Latham is known for saying and teaching, and I've heard it directly from his mouth and I've heard it from his content online and, and, and in conversations with him even, uh, but the process for putting a round on target where you desire, so shooting a gun and hitting what you're aiming at is locate the target, get the gun on target, and press the trigger and w- without moving it off target, right? And none, none of the like th- those are. And if you really think about it, like the process of putting a round on target where you desire. That that's as that's as complex as it as it is. There's nothing more to that. I mean, yes, there's nuance below those things, but it's those three things. It's I got to find the target. That means I got to get my eyes on the target. Then number two, I got to get the gun on the target. And so, okay, I'm now now it implies I'm holding gun, gripping gun, and I'm bringing that to be in a manner of alignment with the target that my eyes can recognize, which again, they're already looking at the target and my eyes tell me whether I'm aligned well enough or not with the target. So locate the target, get the gun on target and then press the trigger without screwing up the first two things. That's it. That nothing there talks about stance. Um, Stance is supplemental to that process. It supports that process. And so we're starting here today with, and we're ta- starting with stance because we wanted to approach this Mythbuster episode as sort of hitting on, you know, it's going to be a series of episodes. We wanted to hit on the traditional shooting fundamentals as they're often taught. And as was established, I guess, or canonized, if you will, in things like the NRA basic pistol curriculum. Now, fortunately, the NRA has made some positive revisements to that curriculum in recent years, and it doesn't look quite the way it did years ago, which I would say is, I mean, it's an improvement for sure. There's still things that I think, you know, could be done better, but, but overall those steps have been in, in a positive direction. And so it's no longer, the curriculum no longer looks like the older style where it was like, you start with number one stance and then number two grip and then number three side alignment, number four sight picture, number five, I think was 
either trigger control or breathing. One of those two. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. remember which order. And then I just mentioned, you know, so five or six breathing control or trigger control. And then the final one, seven is follow through. We're going to hit on all those in succeeding mm-hmm. episodes. So, but that's where it started was stance. And that is not where I start in my, in my instruction as a, as a teacher, as a coach, as an instructor, uh, because it's, it's only supplementary in my opinion to the actual process of, of firing a gun. So I, st- I start, you know, that's why I mentioned I, I start primarily with grip. But anyway, we're here to talk about stance. I just wanted to kind of give my own personal context of, of how I think of this and why I think the way we've been doing it for a long time, I think is personally backwards. You know, because that was the idea was if you were showing up for your first class, you would be told, okay, first thing is first, we're going to talk about stance and you're going to stand like this. You're going to place your feet like that. And I, I just, I don't understand that. And here's, here's the reason why. When, when stance starts to really matter, it's, it starts to matter when we need maximum recoil management uh, from a stationary position. That's when stance starts to matter. Because otherwise, because if you think about this, Matthew, um, if you're not shooting quickly, meaning if you're not shooting multiple shots where they follow up each other, you know, back to back to back to back to back, it does not matter how I stand. If I can take all the time in the world, so if I'm just shooting like bullseye style um, or just purely for accuracy's sake, I could demonstrate this. I can, I can prove it to you. You know, if we were on on the shooting line together, I, I could I could stand any number of ways, and I could put rounds exactly where I want, just as accurately as as I desire, again and again and again and again and again, because the stance does not matter in that process. So, and again, that, that that's just additional, uh, you know, fuel in the fire of why I think it's so backwards to even start by talking about it in the first place as a traditional shooting fundamental or technique. So Hmm. there you go. There's my opening arguments, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, so uh, we've kind of established, and if if you're, I hope what you're getting out of this, if you're, if you're listening is that we're, we're kind of deconstructing, maybe the way the fundamental is typically taught or taught as a fundamental, or maybe the importance of it as the number one fundamental to be taught and kind of maybe putting it in its proper place as to its impact on how you shoot maybe, uh, or the perform your performance, I guess would be, um, there's certainly times, um, where, um, stance, like you said, um, if, if I need to, you know, um, put round after round and I'm stationary, yeah, I, I, w- I want to get into a balanced stance and, and, um, and that's typically, you know, um, you know, uh, balance as far as your weight is distributed and you're not leaning too far forward, too far back. Um, those types of things aid in you being able to, to, um, you know, shoot quickly, follow up shots from a stationary position, but in a self-defense context, we're typically moving 
um, or we're in some sort of con, you know, physical conflict. Um, we may be caught off guard. We may be, you know, trying to, um, we're walking, you know, down the street and, and all of a sudden, um, you know, we're attacked or something like that. So to, to think that we're going to get into a shooting stance is kind of absurd. Um, I, I like the idea of shooting from a fighting stance, whatever type of, you know, whatever stance that that specific incident calls for. So if it's a, a, a fighting stance that I need to, to run and move, move to cover, then I'm fighting for, co- I'm fighting to get to cover and I'm going to be shooting on the move. If I'm shooting behind, behind cover, then maybe I can get a better stance. Maybe it's not a, maybe it doesn't look like an isosceles or weaver. Maybe my stance is, you know, I have to, I have to kneel or I have to, you know, come around cover and it's not your typical isosceles or weaver stance. So, um, I guess the idea is, is that it's, it's best in a fight to be balanced and to be able to move. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more important, um, to be able to shoot from that platform than to say, you know, twist your body, you know, 45 degree angle this way or, you know, 90 degree straight on. I I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's kind of Mm -hmm. how I would generalize it. Yeah. Now, now don't get me wrong. Like if, if I'm on a flat range and I am shooting, whether it's a drill or some kind of exercise from a stationary position, do I have a a default stance? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, Uh, and, and I would say that a stance should be, I mean, there's some common, I would say, principles that say, hey, you know, I mean, like you touched on a couple things. Like, I think one of the principles is a, a good stance needs to be balanced, appropriately balanced. So that might actually be something, that might mean something different based on context. Um, by that, I mean, you know, again, if I'm just standing completely stationary, addressing a simple target, I, I mean, a balanced stance is mostly just standing erect, you know, just standing there. Uh, probably want to have my feet fairly, you know, a, a good width apart, at least like shoulders width apart or thereabouts. Um, but if I don't, if, if the task that I'm being called upon to do is not overly aggressive, like I can just pretty much stand there in a nice neutral erect stance and, and get good work done. But is that how I stand if I'm, say, shooting, uh, if I want to get max performance out of, say, like a build drill? No. My stance for a build drill looks a little different than my stance for just drawing and firing a single shot on target. Because, I mean, a build drill is asking for me to have more recoil management than just draw Mm -hmm. and fire one shot or even draw and fire two. Like I can manage two shots way easier than I can six, you know? So that's my point is like a stance can be a little bit different based on context or the, the, the task at hand. But again, just to, to come back to where I was at is, is that do I have a, a sort of default or standardized stance that I get into? when I'm doing a singular stationary shooting endeavor? Yes. Right. And we can, we can talk about what that, that is for me or for you or for whatever. Um, I prefer to be more based on principles 
um, as opposed to like, here is the Riley Bowen technique, right? Or the Matthew Marister technique. Because uh, I think that, you know, you, your stance looks perhaps different than my stance. It looks different than, you know, Jacob's stance or anybody else's stance for that matter. But they hopefully should all work for us individually. Uh, and so, but, the, but before we, you know, go too far, um, you know, I could, I could go down that path some more here, but let's talk about the classic stances, Matthew, and let's, let's kind of break those down and discuss, um, you know, kind of what they are and their differences. And, and actually I'm going to start off. I know you don't have it listed on your list, but I added it in here because, uh, I think that it's viable. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but, uh, the, the first like classic stance is what I would con- consider to be a bullseye stance. And, mm, you know, like the yeah, classic okay. bullseye stance, like you stand there uh, sort of, off to you know, your, 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 <laughs> your hips and shoulders are more in a line with your arm outstretched, uh, shooting one handed, of course. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That's how it would have been done a hundred years ago or more um, in a classical sense. Uh you know that I mean, and it's one of the reasons why we have uh, laws written a certain way in things like the NFA, the National Firearms Act, is because a pistol or a handgun. I mean, the original name for a handgun was the one hand gun, because everything else up to that point was two handed, right? Because it would be a rifle, and you'd have to use two hands to actually support it, right? And so when handguns came along like that became known as a one hand gun because you didn't have to extend your other arm out on a stock and so the that's how it was thought of to use a handgun a long time you know since the beginning was well this is the good you know my rifle is the gun that i hold with two hands my pistol is the one that i just grab with one hand and use, right? So the the classic bullseye stance, I think, is is really kind of the first stance in terms of a technique that you would discuss when talking about this topic. But rarely in today's world does anybody actually stand or shoot like that. There's still, I mean, there are guys that are competing in, yeah, yeah, like still bullseye competitive matches that use a stance like that. That's true, but it's a very limited or niche application because almost everything else we're doing where possible to hand it. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted to throw that out and get that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> now, why don't you talk about maybe some of the other stances? Yeah. And I mentioned it before you probably heard isosceles and weaver um, in just very generally, the isosceles stance is, is something where you're going to be more square onto the target, chest facing the target, uh, feet shoulder width apart. Your two handed grip uh, when you when you extend the gun out, if if you look, you know your upper body kind of makes an, a, a triangle, um, and so you're more square to the target, facing the target. Um, some people, you know, um, will teach it, you know, your feet are this, you know, if, if you're on a firing line would be equal, some would, would allow you to drop your foot back or, or, or whatnot. But, um, that's essentially the isosceles and, and people will say, well, you know, police will use this because their body armor faces the threat and, and this and that. And it's a more natural and intuitive uh, way to shoot in which I, I, I would 
I do um, think that there is some um, validity to that it is m- a more natural, you know, presentation of the firearm. If you're if you're square um, and you're using a two-handed grip, um, I think there is some some validity to that. Um, it also provides more range of movement, uh, range of movement motion for you to move laterally and to, you know, transition targets, um, because, you know, you're, you you can go to the right as far as you, as far as you can to the left. So it gives you a little bit more motion as opposed to an isosceles stance, which, um, would kind of have you bladed to the target. So your body's kind of on an angle to the target. I think you got Um, these flipped around. I, I, I'm saying, sorry, Weaver. Yeah, did, there I, you go. did I say the Weaver? <laughs> I'm sorry, we're, we're the Weaver, where All you're good, kind bro. of bladed to the target, um, and um, so your, your your body's kind of bladed to the target. You're pushing out uh, with 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 your um, with one hand, um, the other hand, your support hand is kind of in the front of the gun, and you're kind of a push pull type grip on the on the gun, and um, and and this is. You, you'll see a lot. This is almost, almost all the time when you see like cop movies, this is how they're, you know, they go in there and they're kind of bladed and they got the, their hand, they're all jacked up grip. But, um, and so this, that grit, that stance isn't ideal for self-defense because, you know, typically you don't get in that position naturally. Um, it doesn't provide you to be able to move one direction as far as the other because you're already kind of turned away. Um, so the the issue is is that you know the the whole premise and why I thought of this is if you go to a class you'll probably hear one of these or these two stances um, and the, the instructor might put you in one of these stances or tell you to get in one of these stances and and ideally. Um, you should be shooting from a platform that allows you to perform the other fundamentals, um, you know, given whatever circumstance you're in, whether it's stationary or movement, moving that platform or however you're standing should provide you the best um, opportunity to apply the fundamentals, whether it be, you know, from a stationary position, needing a little more recoil management or movement, being able to, um, to, you know, be able to move right, move left. Um, and, and you can't do that if you're, so, you're getting, you know, yourself, uh, married to a specific stance with your feet. And I don't know yeah. if that. Yeah. I mean, so you just touched on kind of the two classically known, you know, stances, although the isosceles stance is a lot more recent, you know, uh, and was popularized mostly in, law enforcement work and training. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people would say, well, you need, you know, especially, so this is basically what people would, I, I've heard this argument before, right? Where, okay, if you're, are you a cop? Are you wearing body armor? Well, then you need to use an isosceles stance because mm-hmm. we need, you know, the face of our armor facing our, our threat, which, I mean, I understand the logic there, but, um, and then, you know, and then I've heard on the flip side of that, Oh, you're just a civilian. You're not using, you're not wearing body armor. Well, then you should use a weaver stance because you're presenting a smaller target to your enemy. And that one's always been kind of funny to me, Matthew, because if you, I mean, a weaver stance 
typically is not much more than maybe 30 degrees blading. <laughs> and like the difference between yeah. me facing you directly, like those of you actually watching the camera <laughs> and can see this, but you, you be the judge difference of like me facing you straight on and turning about 30 degrees. Like I don't get that much smaller. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. there, there is a difference for sure. If I was completely, you know, in a, in the classic bullseye stance, that, mm-hmm. that makes a difference for sure. But like, there's not a huge difference between this and this. So that, that one's always been kind of, I don't think that's a super valid argument. I mean, can we get technical and be like, yeah, you're technically, you know, one or two inches, you know, more narrow if you're using a weaver stance, uh, I suppose. But I don't know that it... I don't think it makes enough of a dis- difference for it to be the deciding factor in the stance style that you choose. I think that there's probably other things that are more important to at least think your way through is where I'm going at with that. And then now um, there was a time too, kind of in the well, around 1980 or thereabouts uh, where things like the Chapman stance and a few similar ones uh, became started to become popularized. It might have been in the seventies, but like up and through into the eighties, early eighties, uh, started to be a little bit more popularized. And what that was was kind of the first iteration of kind of a, a merging of the two styles of a weaver and an isosceles together. And sometimes we also refer to it as like a modified weaver or a modified isosceles. Re- understand the evolution of all this. It all started with, well, there's a lot of evolutions, but like the popul the pop, the the popularity of, su- of such things, you know, becoming more known. Um, I mean, we have the name Weaver Stance, which came because of Jack Weaver, and prior to him competing in the leather slap matches back in like the 50s and 60s, most guys were still shooting one handed. Now, in the leather slap matches, they, that's not a bullseye match, so they weren't doing the traditional bullseye stance, but they were they were standing generally more or less square to target, drawing from their holsters and just shooting at their target one-handed. And something maybe akin to you know what was taught as like the FBI stance back in, in mm-hmm. you know like the 30s and 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. where you kind of squared up to the target, but you 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 drew your gun, you, you didn't even necessarily always bring it up to your eye line, you just pointed it and and shot one-handed sometimes almost from the hip and that's kind of how they were doing this in the leather, leather slap matches and jack weaver was like um you know what a a a, a, re, a relatively fast hit on target um that, that actually hits is often faster than the guy that does this you know one-handed thing from the hip and misses like i i you know, and that's basically how he started winning these matches is because he was actually connecting on his first hit. Whereas some of the other guys weren't, you know, connecting on the first hit. They take two or three, you know, because this was not very precise, just drawing and shooting one handed like so. And so the Weaver stance is born. Although the, the other funny thing here is that if you look at some of Jack Weaver's early photos, He's not using the weaver stance as it was taught at, you know, like by Jeff Cooper and at Gunsight Academy and stuff. And so uh, there's even been kind of this um, evolution of like what 
the Weaver stance originally really was to what we think it was to what it has now, you know, been, been popularized as by, you know, large training organizations like Gunsight. Um, all that to say, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking about some of this just to kind of explain, you know, there was some evolution here and kind of some, some thought of why maybe certain things were done. And again, the isosceles stance was more or less created to address law enforcement concerns. Um, before that even really became the common approach in LE in law enforcement, things like the Chapman stance was actually a little bit more common or popular. And the Chapman stance looks a heck of a lot more like some of the early photos of Jack Weaver, to be honest. And by that, what do I mean? Your shoulders are more or less squared up to the target. You're shooting two-handed grip where both arms are more or less about the same extension-wise, but your feet are, are set up more like an Isa- or a weaver stance. Or, as I like to think of it, like you talked about it earlier a little bit, about like a fighting stance. And that and that's and, and really I like to use an even broader term to describe that stance. I think of it as more of a athletic stance. You know? because uh, maybe not everybody that listens I mean, this is the concealed carry podcast, obviously, but uh, but what what we see in today's modern world is as far as stances are concerned, most of, and I can't even really think of any good examples, pretty much all of your best shooters use what I would call a, a more athletic type stance. Something where, where your feet are generally bladed or are offset, offset, meaning usually your weak side foot is a little bit ahead of the strong side foot and and then you you shoot with your arm your two arms extended to the target you know more or less mm-hmm. equally and so that seems to be the winning combination and you know the way and that's that's exactly what I do when I shoot you know it gives you good control because if I have my you know in, in the classic isosceles stance my feet are even you know, they're mm-hmm. equidistant to the target and all my recoil energy is coming, you know, back and forth like this, but my feet are not set up in an optimized way to, to help with that. Right. And so a lot of times and you, I remember this, hearing this in the Academy, Matthew, you probably heard it. Well, you're not doing the isosceles stance, right. Unless we can come along and, you know, slide mm-hmm. a piece of paper under your heels. Right, like you right. gotta be like up on your toes and grab the earth with your toes while you're at it, you know, because you know that's where you're gonna get your recoil control from. It's like mm-hmm. that, what's way simpler, guys, is if I just move this left foot slightly forward or this right foot slightly back, and now I'm way more balanced and I have way mm-hmm. more control and way more power, right? Yeah. Anyway, so there, I just thought I'd touch on some of the evolution and kind of. I don't know, get us to a place where I think, I think where most people are at today, I'm not saying everybody agrees. I know that's not the case. In fact, I remember talking to somebody at our conference last year that was like, no, Weaver stance is the way and it's what works best for me. And I'm like, 
that's cool, bro. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not here to try to get in your way of you doing what you think is best. Um, but, uh, I think where most people are at is feet a little bit off offset. Okay. More like a fighting stance or an athletic stance where you're set up to be able to move forward or rearward or left or right. And generally arms equally extended to the target. Mm-hmm. Hip square. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, because it, in, in, if you want a good visualization of this, look at, you know, look at some, um, John Korea's active self-protection, uh, website or, or channel is really good because he shows a lot of videos of actual defensive gun uses, but look at how people typically, if, if they're moving while they shoot, if, if they're, um, you know, look at how people actually perform in real life situations and see what stance they're in. You know, obviously if you're moving, you're not going to be in one of these stances or any of these stances, right? If you're in your car getting carjacked, you're not in a stance either. If you're wrestling somebody, there's a whole, you know, all kinds of what ifs that uh, apply to um, shooting in a defensive context that have nothing to do with foot placement whatsoever. Um, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, uh, you know, if you're sitting, if you're seated, those types of things, right? But if you're moving, yes, foot placement is going to matter. Um, it's just not going to matter in the way that you can set it up as far as a, a stance. And so that's why referring it to it or thinking of it as a, as a platform or as, as, what it truly is, is being able to be um, adaptable in a defensive gun mm-hmm. use, to be able to move, to be able to defend against a physical attack or um, to shoot and move or, um, you know, this is this is more important than getting on your toes or doing this or that. Certainly, you know, if you're running a drill, if you're shooting com- com- competitively, um, yeah, get you know, get in, get in a stance that's, that's, um, uh, facilitates good recoil management and, and, you know, orients you towards the, the, you know, your natural point of aim towards the target more naturally. Yeah, of course, all that stuff, but, um, don't get so dogmatically attached to foot placement that it obstructs you from thinking about a defensive gun use as an actual fight. And, um, you know, a fight with a gun and, and how do I deploy this tool? And so that's really, I think, the the spirit of what I I was hoping for when we when we kind of discussed this or what, at least in my head. Yeah. I hope that came through, but at least in my head. That's- yeah. Well, so when you get super dogmatic about or if you're just locked into this idea that to shoot effectively, you must be in a stance and stance stance by definition is you know, foot positioning, hips orientation, shoulders, arms, et cetera, all of that is a package deal. Then what I find, Matthew, is a lot of times when when it comes time to teach shooters to shoot and move, the Mm -hmm. ones that struggle the most with shooting and moving are the ones that cannot separate, whether it's it's mostly mental, those, those that cannot separate the idea of upper body and lower body mm-hmm. because for you to learn how to shoot effectively on the move 
meaning still shoot quickly and get good hits on target because you're minimizing disruption to the gun as you're shooting, but you're still, you know, able to move your feet and move around. Like the ones that struggle the most are the ones that or to be able to do that effectively, you've got to be able to separate basically from hips up and hips down. It's got to be two different components that your feet and legs are operating one way and everything else from the hips up is operating another way. And it's because it's necessary because I mean, I can't determine ahead of time, especially in a random context of some kind of fight, whether I need to move left or move right or move forward or at a diagonal or whatever, right? I just have to be able to move to accomplish the objective because it might be, hey, there's a vehicle over here. That's cover. I need to get over to that vehicle, right? As I'm addressing or dealing with this threat. Or it might be that I need to close in on this threat for whatever reason. Or it might be I need to create distance between me and this threat. I don't get to pick and choose how and where I'm, I'm going to move to accomplish the objective. Meanwhile, I need to be able to still operate my gun. And so that's all got to be, it's the upper body's got to basically address the threat like, like the turret of a tank, right? And the tracks of the tank go wherever it wants to go, right? That's why, I mean, you've got a driver driving that thing. You got, you know, and, and meanwhile, you got a whole team of guys that are like, there's a target, aim at the target. Hey, we're moving here, but we're aiming there and we're shooting, you know, like that's what we got to be able to do. And when you get stuck in the dogmatic approach of, no, I'm a weaver stance shooter. I must do this thing or whatever and pick, pick your poison. That, I, that usually means that they, that person will struggle with shooting and moving because they can't separate those operations. Yeah, and, and I and this is kind of like maybe just a little teaser for the next fundamental, but I think that if, if you're so stuck into a dogmatic approach with stance, you may be stuck into a dogmatic approach with some of these other fundamentals that might hinder you in, in, in other areas to actually shooting to your potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, and I'll speak for myself, um, until I kind of broke away from some of the dogmatic stuff that I was pounded with and uh, pounded into my head as far as like, this is how it must be. So if you're not doing it well, it's because you're not doing this well. It's not because you can do it any other way and do it well. It's because it has to be done this way. Um, if you can break free from some of these things. Now, d- we're not throwing like, you know, we're not, we didn't come to, you know, do away with the law. You know, we're just mm. coming here to kind of give some, um, some more insight into, um, some of these principles to, to help, um, to help you maybe shoot, uh, to your potential or, or think of things a little bit, think of as the salt, the shooting problem and think of maybe other solutions than the, the, the few that you've been given. Uh, mm-hmm. from maybe instructors in the past. Absolutely. Hey, real quick before I forget, um, it, you really, kind of at the beginning of the episode, I, I talked about our first episode sponsor being Guardian Nation, talked a little bit about what it is. I do want to you know remind folks to, hey, go to guardiannation.com and check out what membership means. And we do hope to see you be a part of the nation with us. Uh, Guardian Nation members get a huge discount off of 
tickets to the Guardian Conference, which is coming up next month. And there's still time to sign up, and we do hope to see many of you there. Uh, but our other episode sponsor, I, I need to do it justice here, which is Mountain Man Medical. Uh, I've got right here, you know, I flew out here to, to Utah. I've got, I've got built into this pack a simple little IFAC. It uh, goes right through airport security with me. I've got trauma shears and tourniquet and quick claw and compression bandages and gloves, you know, nitrile gloves uh, and a number of other things in that kit. Uh, super convenient for me to travel with and have it with me at all times. We've got a lot of options for trauma kits at mountainmenmedical.com. Uh, even if you're not super trained in things of, you know, providing medical attention or care or, uh, you know, dealing with trauma, uh, the scene of an accident, a shooting, a stabbing, whatever, or it could be that you fall off the ladder, you know, work and, you know, snag your, your arm on a, on a nail or something, you know, you, you, there's so many ways you can be exposed to trauma or respond to trauma that has occurred. Even if you don't have a lot of training, guys, sometimes just having a kit on scene can be a huge help because there may be others in the area that are able to step in, provide aid, and those others may not have kits. I've seen that. So, uh, in fact, the accident that I witnessed uh, now about two years-ish ago, I think, a year and a half, uh, like February of last year in Alabama, firefighter responded didn't have a kid on him. I did. Right. And I, I was ready and prepared to provide aid, but I, but he, he took the lead and he seemed very confident and able to handle the situation, but he didn't have any, any, any gear with him. And so, and I hope it was a lesson for him. I hope he, he you know, I hope he went out to Mountain Medical and bought himself a kit, you know, mm-hmm. to, to haul around with him. So even if you're not trained, sometimes having a kit can come in handy. But even then, the training sometimes isn't all that hard. You can even watch and take the free online training course at mountainmedical.com. We've had hundreds, if not thousands of people complete that course now, including people from government agencies uh, that that are relying on that information to uh, make themselves a little bit better prepared and more able to to deal with the aftermath of some kind of trauma-related incident. So anyway, mountainmedical.com. Hope you guys will consider uh, the training, but also buying your next trauma kit or other medical related gear at mountainmedical.com. All right. So final kind of minutes here. Um, Matthew, I think it would be good. I think at this point we've talked about different stances in a traditional context and, you know, pluses and minuses and, you know, the importance of not being locked to a stance because the shooting problem may present itself any number of ways. Uh, Let's go ahead I think it would be it wouldn't be fair or do it justice if we didn't talk about what are the principles. We've touched on a couple of things, but what makes up a good stance slash pra- shooting platform? Go ahead and throw out you know some of your thoughts on that, and I'll I'll add to that as well. Yeah, so the, the, a couple of the big ones: balance. You need to have balance. Um, um, balance uh, provides you, you know, the amount of balance you need depends on what you're doing, right? So if, if I'm just taking one shot in a stationary position, I may be able to stand fairly upright feet sort of together and just kind of bring the gun up and shoot and one shot and I'm, I'm good. Um, 
as as I need to either fire more rounds or or maybe um, start to 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 potentially move, um, then my base might need to get a little bit wider so I can balance, and that might mean I drop my foot back. It might be you know um, you know either either foot because given the problem, I might not be able to move one foot back or the other. So balance is is, is important. Uh, I think uh, a position or a platform that allows movement laterally forward and back as best as possible. Um, so something that, that provides you, um, you know, the ability to move in all those directions. Think I, I, I kind of think not, I don't want to think of it, um, so much. I, I, I used to play baseball. I like in, an infielder and you kind of, you know, they get down a little bit more, um, more so than than a shooting stance, but think of like a, an infielder who has to be able to go right, left, forward, or back. Um, you don't want to get too your feet too stuck in one position or your hips bent in one position um, because it limits you from going in the other direction. If, if you're following me, uh, you know, visualizing that in your head. Um, and then uh, you know, a platform it, it does involve your hips at times. Um, you know, especially. Um, if, if you are twisted one way or, you know, moving, positioning your feet, um, sometimes, you know, if you are in a stationary stance or, or platform, um, the way your even your feet are pointed, um, opening up your stance might give you a little bit more movement um, laterally, whereas closing it in kind of pigeon-toed, um, you know, closes your hips. So these are some of the things that... Um, you can, whether you're moving or stationary, you can work with and, and kind of um, determine what, what works for the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, balance, like you said, uh, super important. I think part of balance is, like if we're thinking about it from a stance perspective, uh, just often means that your feet need to be wide enough that you ensure your center of gravity remains within your feet right? You become unbalanced when your center of gravity goes outside of those two little things you're standing on. Um, and so typically a wide stance, uh, and that, that certainly to the left and right, I mean, we talk, we often use like a shoulder width as, uh, as a guiding, you know, kind of as a, as a, as a metric, you know, like, yeah, about shoulder width apart or whatever. Uh, but also, if we're thinking front to back, that one's a little bit trickier. You know, how much do you need to have the feet offset, say, you know, weak side foot to strong side foot? Uh, something to play around with and experiment with and figure out what works best for you in a variety of contexts. And then understand, too, but and the reason why we talk about principles of things like stance as opposed to a specific technique or a specific way of doing something is because again, what I just uh, talked about w was more relevant to a stationary stance or position, but balance still exists or needs to happen even when we're on the move, right? Mm -hmm. And so give that some thought, right? As far as how you are, and once we start shooting and moving, especially. Um, to maintain balance, a lot of times we need to actually take. We a lot of times our stride needs to be a little bit shorter than what it otherwise would be. Like if I'm, like I have a pretty predictable. I'm a six foot three, so like my stride is pretty much right on at about a yard, about three feet. 
So I take a step, it's three feet, take a step, it's three feet, take a step, it's three feet. Uh, but if I'm shooting and moving and I need to maintain, you know, good control um, for my upper body and I need to disrupt the the upper body platform as little as possible, I can't be taking, you know, three foot long strides. Now, while maybe that's not specifically hitting on the balance concept, but what it is is that like I, I need to shorten that up a little bit and how much I'm not going to tell you specifics on that. Like you need to experiment and play with this and figure out where you need to be at. I don't even know how much I, I do in my case. Like I just, I just know how to walk a certain way to minimize disruption to my shooting platform, but I have to remain balanced. And when our strides too big, then like what happens is, is we kind of get this motion as we lumber along, meaning that we're kind of swaying left and right and left and right as we walk. And so uh, w- when we're shooting, you know, that, that's not really acceptable because then our sights and the gun and everything are a lot, there's a lot more motion there. So balance is more things than just shoulder width apart. Okay. Another thing I often talk about, well, you, t- you talk about movement and I would say another word I like to use to describe that is mobility um, or maintaining mobility. So the, the ability to, to move when I need to move and be ready for movement, you know, when it's, when it's necessary, when it becomes necessary. Um, another thing I would say is make sure your knees are bent. Right. I just got done, you know, watching my, uh, one of my kids, my son, uh, you know, he, he just closed out his summer season of playing baseball, little league baseball. And, uh, you know, what's a common thing that us parents and coaches are yelling at our kids in the batter box, uh, as they're learning, you know, the game, Hey, bend your knees or something, you know, like there's a lot of things, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a common one. I, I, you know, especially mm-hmm. with the younger kids because they get in that batter box and they just want to just stand there. And it's like, it'll be a lot more effective if your knees are bent bent and you can articulate and, you know, and that whole of transfer of, of energy, right. To, to get a powerful swing. Like you, there's gotta be that, you know, you're here and then you're swinging through and your center of gravity is moving forward to generate that power that can't happen as effectively if we don't have some, some bend in our knees. And that's true too, when shooting, whether it's a stationary stance but also when moving and shooting, he's got to be bent. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's the other thing. So that's, that's another principle I, I, I touch on is when I talk about stance, I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time on it. I say, I want to see that you have a nice wide platform or at least that your center of gravity is contained well within wherever your feet are positioned uh, and that, and that you're set up. And when we talk about balance, it's again, it's not just left and right, but it's, it's all directions as much as possible. The second thing, the ability to move or maintain mobility. And the third thing, have those knees bent. It's, got, it's just going right. to help and support you in, in, in your endeavor. And that's about all I have to say about, about stance. And that, I mean, that's, I, I talk about it, about that simply, even in the classes that I teach. Yeah. Yeah, I think we make it too more complicated than what it really needs to be. Yeah. There's certainly principles, but that's but that's um yeah. Yeah. And I think when 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 instru- instructors in particular get overly focused in on a specific technique, I think that's actually harder for the shooter to learn. 
Cause it's like, mm-hmm. cause then they're always like, well, wait, am I holding my arm the right way? You know, and stuff like you that. Hyper focus on these things. Yeah. And, it, it's yeah. way simpler to be like, no, what I need are, here's these three principles. Okay. Do that. All right. Mm-hmm. And it's simple. It's, I mean, and, and it also leaves it open to interpretation for, cause I think each individual needs to develop a stance technique or any technique that applies best to them because we're not all built the same, shaped the same. We don't all move the same. We don't all have the same amount of mobility. Sometimes you get older. Uh, maybe it's, maybe, maybe you have to accommodate a hip injury or a knee injury or a foot injury or some other kind of injury. And so your stance is not my stance. It's not their stance. It's not his or her stance. I agree. Right on. There you go. That's our thoughts on myth busting the classic shooting fundamental as it's classically taught of stance. Yeah. I just had a, I'm going to go rogue, Riley. I just thought of something. Maybe I like, I like when Matthew goes rogue. (laughs) Maybe for our next uh, (laughs) fundamental that we're going to take on. um, Riley ultimately has the call on this, but Maybe if you guys are listening and you hear this and you want to leave a comment here or email us at uh, uh, podcast at concealcare.com and tell us which, uh, I, I think we're going to go in order, um, but maybe if we get enough, you know, hey, I want to hear this, you guys do this fundamental next, maybe we'll do that. I don't know. Or just tell Riley needs a new host. You know, he needs to get rid of me and get a new host. Could do that too. Well, certainly. I mean, we do listen to people's emails and things that come in. So, uh, to Matthew's point, you know, if you message us at support at concealed or not support podcast, podcast support, I mean, you'd get to our support team. That's fine. But podcast at concealedcarry.com. Uh, yeah, feel free to pass along feedback and, and uh, Whatever, whatever you want to share with us. Uh, I do think that as of right now, anyway, that next we will tackle grip and uh, yeah, like what is grip and you know, what, what, what is, what is the classic fundamental of grip and how is that taught? And if, if there's anything we need to myth bust with respect to that, uh, I think it'll be a, a good topic. I think you'll have something to say about that. I've spent a lot of time figuring out grip. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's changed a lot. I mean, not as much in the last you know couple of years, but there was a period where I, I went through some serious grip evolutions. I'll bet you have too, to some extent. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, this has been a fun episode. Thank you, everybody. Uh, a reminder of our sp- episode sponsors today, which were Guardian Nation, which again you can learn more at guardiannation.com, and then also Mountain Man Medical. Com. Thank you for your support of our sponsors that make it possible for us to do what we do and bring you this podcast content regularly. So until next time, we'll sign off. Matthew, adieu. Thank, Take care. Thank you, sir. Thank you, listeners. Yeah. And so we remind you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. <laughs>